if you'd like to get a copy. So the fellows here in the aisles have notes. Just raise your hand if you need a copy of the notes. And they will get, get you one. All right. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to uh, be speaking on this subject, the Old Testament law and the New Testament Christian. And they actually made this... Uh, thing for me today. How about that? That's graphic. That's nice, huh? <laughs> um, the Old Testament law and the New Testament Christian. When I was a uh, young boy, I think I was about eight years old, something like that. <laughs> I think it was about 30 years ago. I can't remember, something like that. My memory's not too, too good, you know. Anyway, I went to this church uh, near my uh, house where my family lived at the time. And the first week I was there, uh, they announced a contest in the Sunday school. <clears throat> and the contest was, we were told that if you would memorize the Ten Commandments, when you come back the next week, they would give you a Bible. So uh, that week, my mother worked with me and helped me and kind of drilled me, and I memorized the Ten Commandments. And so I went back to the church that week, and I was able, able to accurately, you know, recite the Ten Commandments. But unfortunately, the church did not have the Bible that they had promised. And so I went back a few more times, several times, but for some reason, they could never come up with that Bible that they, they promised this little boy. And that was disappointing. So you can see my first experience at church was not <laughs> a very happy one, not a satisfying one. But I did learn the Ten Commandments. But don't ask me to recite them now, please, because my memory, you know, that memory thing I was talking about. I remember uh, <clears throat> going to the movies with my parents to the Paramount Theater in Newport News, Virginia, 1956 to see the Ten Commandments. How many people have seen the Ten Commandments movie? Yeah, okay. Starring Charlton Heston, you know, as Moses. And uh, perhaps, you know, I'm sure some of you said you've seen it. And uh, whenever, whenever I think of Moses, you know, I see that, <laughs> I see the picture of Charlton Heston in my mind there for some reason. But it was quite an amazing thing because uh, they had just come out with the wide screen, real wide screens. Uh, before, uh, movies were like TV screens, but when TV came out, the, the movie people, the Hollywood people said, we've got to get something to attract people to the movie. So they came out with this wide, uh, wide very wide color, beautiful color screen, this division. And so uh, we were just amazed by that uh, experience. Um, there was this spectacular scene where the finger of God carves out, you know, the Ten Commandments on those two stone tablets. Perhaps you remember that. When I was in high school, the Ten Commandments 
uh, were displayed on a plaque right in my home room. And uh, nobody, you know, seemed to have a problem with that. In fact, the Ten Commandments was displayed in a lot of places back then, uh, 30 years ago, you know, whenever I was a boy, you know. Um, you know, most people who have some background in Christianity, uh, at least some background, are certainly familiar with the Ten Commandments. And I think if I were to ask them, uh, are you required, do you think you're required to keep the Ten Commandments, I think many of them would say yes, yeah, we have to, you know, keep the Ten Commandments, even if they <coughs> couldn't name all ten of them. But what have I asked you this morning? Does God require you to keep the Ten Commandments? Um, what about the Fourth Commandment here? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, Exodus 20, verse 8. Now, the Old Testament Sabbath is Saturday, Saturday. <clears throat> There's no, absolutely no debate about that. Jews today, Jewish people, correctly observe the Sabbath on Saturday. Um, so my guess is that most of you probably broke the Sabbath command yesterday. Because the Bible says, uh, uh, on the Sabbath, you shall, do, you shall not do any work. On the Sabbath, you shall not do any work. And Orthodox Jews uh, interpret that quite wide, uh, widely. Uh, they refrain from almost any kind of activity <clears throat> on the Sabbath, on Saturday. They don't allow any writing or any business transactions. They don't drive cars. You can't ride in a car. There's no shopping. There's no, no using your phone. <clears throat> you can't turn on anything that uses electricity. So they have means to get around that. Jews who live in high-rise buildings, they can't get in the elevator and punch the button because that would be work. So on Sunday or Saturday, the elevators are set so when you get in the elevator, it just takes you up one floor at a time. And then you just get off and that's how you do it. You don't do any work. Um, so they have all these rules. Nothing can be done on the Sabbath. I can remember my mother getting upset with me when I was a boy because I used a hammer on Sunday. And she said I was working on the Sabbath when I was using that hammer on Sunday. My mom believed, as do many good Christians, even today, that the Sabbath command applies to Sunday, to today. Now, it doesn't. It doesn't apply, but <clears throat> we'll get to that later. So when we talk about the Ten Commandments, we're talking about the law, the Mosaic law. I say in your notes here, the Mosaic law is found in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. The Ten Commandments are part of the Mosaic law, but the Mosaic law is much more than just the Ten Commandments. According to the Jewish rabbis who count these things, they say there are 613 commands in the Mosaic Law. 
365 positive commands like the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath. And there's 248 prohibitions or negative commands like you shall not steal. Now these commands <clears throat> or, or prohibitions, they also include sanctions or penalties for breaking the, the law, disobeying the law. For instance, the penalty for working on the Sabbath was death. Death. Now all these uh, laws were given through Moses at Mount Sinai to the newly constituted nation of Israel as they came out of bondage in Egypt. The Mosaic Law is also called the Mosaic Legal System. So we can talk about the Mosaic Law, the Mosaic Legal System. We call it that because it was an entire legal system that governed the nation of Israel. Very similar to our Constitution, our federal laws, state laws. That's what the Mosaic Law was to the nation of Israel. And so in the next couple of weeks, as I said, I'd like for us to look at the relationship of the Mosaic Law to Christians today. How does or how should the Mosaic Law relate to you and I as believers? Are you and I required to obey any part of the law? Now, if you've ever taken time to read through the Pentateuch, the first five books, and you've seen some of those commands, all 613 of them, it soon becomes obvious that you and I are not really attempting to observe them, including we're not observing the Sabbath, we're not, in, we're not observing a bunch of other of those, uh, others of those commands. For example, here, Leviticus 19.19, 19, part of the Mosaic Law says, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Well, I'm in trouble because I've got a shirt on that's cotton and polyester. So I am in disobedience today to the Mosaic Law. What about Leviticus 19.28? Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I think some of you are in trouble. <clears throat> You're in trouble. Perhaps I should take a moment to explain exactly what that verse is about. Um, in fact, many of you may not know that the word tattoo even is found in the Bible. Uh, that's because the King James translation transla had, do not print, don't print any marks on you. It didn't use the word tattoo. The word tattoo is used in more modern Bibles. The truth is that Hebrew scholars don't really know exactly what the word means. It's only used one time right here in this particular verse. Uh, the best guess is that the word, the word translated tattoo speaks of marks that had to do with pagan religion, religion, religious worship. So Canaanite religion. Apparently the people uh, cut themselves and put marks on themselves, possibly involving the dead, worship of gods or the dead. So God is forbidding Israel from doing those kinds of things, adopting those Canaanite practices. So uh, the command would not 
be related normally, I don't think, to anything we call tattoos today. Then there is Leviticus 19.32. Stand up in the presence of the age, aged. Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly. I think we should bring that back. I like that one. I like it, I like it a lot. I forgot, uh, Ron, I'm not old enough, am I? I forgot, yeah, forgot about that. Take that back. Finally, notice uh, Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, which says, a stubborn and rebellious son is to be stoned. Now, that's a little harsh, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe you think so. Uh, so I think we're aware that we're not keeping most of these commands, and these commands don't really apply to us today. But there are those commands that we would say do apply, like you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. These certainly would apply to us. So why do we obey some parts of the Mosaic Law and not other parts of the Mosaic Law? And that's one of the questions we need to answer in this series here. Think about the one other command in the Mosaic Law. Leviticus 12, 1 through 3, says this. The Lord said to Moses, A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son, on the eighth day the boy is to be circumcised. This seems like a pretty clear command requiring circumcision of all male children. But in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.19, circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Now think about that. Circumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Can you imagine Paul saying that to Moses? Hey, Moses, hey, Moses, you know, that's circumcision. That's nothing. <laughs> it's keeping God's commands. And Moses might say, hey, Paul, what could be a clearer command of God than circumcision? Yet in the New Testament age, Paul makes it very clear that circumcision is no longer to be listed as one of the commands to be kept by God's people. So this raises several questions. Why don't we have to keep the circumcision commandment? What are these commandments of God that Paul says believers must keep? We gotta, there's some commands that keeping God's commands is what counts, so there's obviously some commands we have to keep. And where do we find these commands that Paul talks about? Well, before we can answer these questions, you know, I've raised about the Mosaic Law and whether it applies to us and how it applies to us, we need to begin our investigation by starting here at the beginning maybe and just talk about the term law itself, the term law. What do we mean when we use the term law or when the Bible uses the term law? How does the Bible use the law? What ways does it use it? So when we read the Bible, we should ask ourselves this question. What does a particular writer of scripture mean in 
a particular passage when he refers to the law, when he uses the term law. What law is he talking about? So we first need to define the term as it's used in the Bible, and for our purposes, particularly the New Testament. Now, as you probably know, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language, and the Hebrew word for law is Torah, Torah, or we say in English, Torah, the Torah. Jewish synagogues always have a Torah scroll. If you go to a synagogue, the centerpiece sort of of the, of, the, of the synagogue is the Torah scroll. Uh, the New Testament, we know, was written in the Greek language. And the word for, the, the word for law is namas, namas. And we find that word contained in the word Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. Deutero means second, and namas law, second law. So Deuteronomy is kind of the second statement of the law. We have Exodus, and then it's sort of restated the second time in Deuteronomy. But I say, but these words Torah and Namas do not always refer to the Mosaic law when they are used in the Bible. That is, the word law, when used in the Old and New Testament, has other meanings than just the Mosaic law. So as I said before, when we encounter the word law, we need to step back for just a moment and figure out what the word means in that particular context. Now notice this diagram <clears throat> on your uh, paper there. So if we're looking at the meaning of the word law, the Torah or namas, the Torah, or the Greek word for law, Hebrew and Greek, we can divide the, the, the meanings tend to fall in two broad categories. On the right side there, we have what we might call non-legal uses, not referring to laws at all, like speed limit laws or criminal laws, Those not, not a legal use. On the left side, we have the legal use, that is God's law, divine law, legal uses of the law. So let's look at those two categories. So on the right side, we have <clears throat> what I would call non-legal uses of the law. We have a couple of those. The first one is sometimes the word law means something like principle or force. Principle or force. It's kind of like the law of gravity in English. We talk about the law of gravity, the law of thermodynamics. So that's the principle of thermodynamics. We're not talking about a legal system when we talk about that kind of law. And Paul uses that occasionally in his writings, <clears throat> not often. But an example would be Romans 7.21. Now in chapter 7 of Romans, <clears throat> Paul is discussing there his battle with sin. He's a Christian, he's been justified as we heard about this morning. But he's still not perfectly holy. He still has to battle sin, and it's a, it's a battle, it's a struggle every day. And so he says at one point, so I find this law at work. I find this principle at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. So we're not talking about the Mosaic law or anything like that. We're just talking about a principle. Secondly, 
looking at that right side, the non-legal use, <clears throat> sometimes the law was also used in the sense of scripture, that it actually means something written, the Bible, what we call the Bible, scripture. I say in the Old Testament, the word law can refer to the first five books, that is Genesis through Deuteronomy, which are called the Torah, remember that Torah scroll, or we call it sometimes the Pentateuch, which is the Greek term, penta means five, two, two, five, two, five books. And so sometimes uh, it refers just to the first five books. For example, here in Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 3. Now remember the context here is Israel had been taken into captivity, the ba Babylonian captivity, 586 B.C. And then about 70 years later, they're allowed to return. And there's three returns. The first return is under Zerubbabel, and they build the temple. Then Ezra comes back, and he's sort of the priest, ruler, the, the, of, uh, he has authority there in Judea. And then after him, not a few years later, Nehemiah comes back, and Nehemiah comes back to build the walls of Jerusalem. They built the temple, but the walls were torn down, so he's come back to build the walls. And so here's the scene. All the people came together at one, as one in the square before the water gate, one of the gates in Jerusalem. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. There it is. So we're talking about scripture here. They brought out the book of the law of Moses, the first five books, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. On the, the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. I notice secondly or B here, Jews today and Jews in Jesus' day divide the Old Testament into three sections. They have three sections. We normally have five. We have like the Pentateuch, the historical books, the poetical books, and the prophetical books. Jews divided in their Bible three sections. The law, the prophets, and the writings. So they have the law, the Torah, and they have the prophets, the Nevi'im, the uh, prophets, the Nevi'im, and they have the writings, the Kethuvim. And so those, the first letters of those words, T, N, K, are used, are, 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 are used to make a new word, an artificial word called Tanakh. So when Jews refer to their Bible, they don't call it the Old Testament because they don't have a New Testament. So it's just the Bible. And they call the Bible the Tanakh. So if you went to a Jewish bookstore and you asked for a copy of the Old Testament, they, they would look at you funny and they would say, you're talking about the Tanakh. So it's, it's just T-N-K with a couple of A's stuck in there to be able to pronounce the word, the Tanakh. Now, if you look at that arrangement, you'll notice that there's only 24 books listed there rather than our 39 in our English Bibles. But actually, it's exactly the same material. They just divide it up differently. So if you'll notice, 
under the prophets, the latter prophets, number 13 is the 12. They don't divide it up into 12 minor prophets, so they have one book. So that's 11 more that we would have. They don't divide Samuel and Kings into separate books. We have 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings. You look over at the writings, Ezra and Nehemiah, they combine into one book. They don't have separate books. And Chronicles, they don't have first and second. So if you add all that up, it's still the same 39 books. It's exactly the same material. That's where we Christians got our Old Testament was from the Jews. They preserved it. And uh, so it's the same exact material. So the Old Testament is sometimes referred to the Torah is referred to as the law, uh, the first five books. I notice and see the New Testament, in the New Testament, the Pentateuch is called the law also. The same thing happened. Matthew 5, 17. Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now that's those two sections there we talked about. New Testament writers also use the word law for the Old Testament as a whole. So, so they use the word law to refer to the first five books. But they also use it sometimes, Jesus does, at least to refer to the entire Old Testament. He says in John 10, 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are God's? Now he's quoting Psalm 82, 6. That's not part of the Torah. Psalm 82, 6 is over there in that third division, the writings. So Jesus is calling something from the writings the law. So sometimes the word law is used to refer just the whole Bible, whole Old Testament. Notice D here. So when we read that Paul says Christians are no longer under the law, he's not talking about Scripture. Sometimes the word law does refer to Scripture, but it's not here. And he says, we're no longer under the law. He's referring to the law in the legal sense of divine law. He's referring to the left side of that diagram there, divine law. We Christians are still under the authority of the Old Testament law if we're talking about law as Scripture, since the Old Testament Scripture is still part of our Bible and we are under it in the sense we must listen to the entirety of God's revelation. Paul says in Romans 15, 4, for everything that was written in the past, that's the Old Testament, was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Everything in the Old Testament is written for us in the sense of teaching us about God. Everything in the Old Testament is written for us, but not everything is written to us. Not in the sense of directly applying to us. Leviticus 19.19, 19, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material, is not written to us. That was written to Israelites living in the land. So it's not written to us in the sense of commanding our obedience today. 
Well, then the other side of the diagram, the left side, is what we are concerned about, divine law. Divine law. And we have two categories of that in the New Testament. The Mosaic law, the Mosaic legal system, and the New Testament form of the law that we alluded to before. The overwhelming majority of examples of divine law in the New Testament refer to the Mosaic law. So you're on pretty good ground. You're reading along in the Bible, and it says the law, in the New Testament it says the law, it's probably talking about the law of Moses, but not always. You have to, you know, just look at the context. The Mosaic law is conceived of as a body of commands summarized in the Mosaic covenant, which came at a certain time in history, when Israel came out of bondage and the law was given at Mount Sinai. The Mosaic law was Israel's constitution, a statutory legal system, Israel was a theocracy, not a democracy. God made the laws. So in the Bible, we have a couple of slight variations. A, law can refer to a single command in the Mosaic law. Occasionally, a scripture verse is just talking about a single command. So Romans 7.2, Paul says, For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if the husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So um, sometimes it's just referring to one thing. In Deuteronomy 24, the law about divorce and so forth. But most of the time it's B. Law in the New Testament normally refers to the body of commands, the whole mosaic legal system or economy. All 613 commands. 1 Corinthians 9.20 To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews to those under the law under the Mosaic legal system I became like one under the law though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law so under the law there speaks of being under all of those 619 commands so to be part of the Mosaic economy is equal to being under the Mosaic law and the Mosaic covenant the word law refers to the entire Mosaic legal system in most passages in the New Testament. And this is what our discussion is about. In what sense are Christians related to the Mosaic law that is the whole legal system of which the Ten Commandments is a part of, but only a small part of? So most of the time in the New Testament, the word law refers to the Mosaic law, the Mosaic legal system, but there are a couple of times when the word law refers to its New Testament form. Paul says on two occasions that there is a New Testament form of the law, the law of Christ or Christ's law. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Corinthians 9.21 To those not having the law, I became one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. So another question we need to answer is, what is Christ's law? What is that? And where exactly do we find it? So let's start here. Roman numeral 3. First of all, we want to 
explain, we want to definitely prove that the Mosaic Law was given exclusively to the nation of Israel. So when we ask the question, to who do these 613 commands apply? Well, God gave the Mosaic Law exclusively to, Mount, at, to Israel at Mount Sinai when Israel was constituted a nation state. Notice Leviticus 26.46. These are the decrees, the laws and the regulations that the Lord established at Mount Sinai between himself and the Israelites. He didn't say between himself and the Persians. He didn't say between himself and the Americans. He said between himself and the Israelites through Moses. Psalm 147, 19 and 20. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Paul says, those of my own race, the people of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law the temple worship, and the promises. This means that all the rest of humanity are Gentiles who do not have the law, Paul says. So the Mosaic law was given exclusively and only to the nation of Israel and to no other people on the face of the earth. So if it's going to apply to other people, other nations, then the Bible needs to tell us that somewhere and I'll just give you the conclusion it doesn't <laughs> B the law was given to Israel for a limited time and purpose for a limited time and purpose the 613 laws were stipulations of the Mosaic Covenant that God made with a particular group of West Semitic people living in a particular location, the southeastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. The law was designed to regulate the lives of a people living in the distinctive geographical and climatic, climactic, climatic <laughs> conditions found in the southern Levant. So see the map there? That area that the red around is called commonly the Levant. It's kind of a geographical term for that area. It's a w very well-traveled area because it's a, a route between the north and the south there. So the Levant, it was designed for people who are living with the geography and the weather, the fauna and the flora of that particular location, the Levant. Um, many of the regulations in the Mosaic Law are not applicable. They're not intelligible. Uh, they're even nonsensical outside of this particular location, this particular region. For example, Exodus 29-22 required the offering of the fat tail of the ram. So to obey the Mosaic Law, offerings had to be made of the fat tail of the ram. Now this is a special breed of sheep 
that has this 10 to 15 pound very fatty tail. So you have to live in this region. You can't be in Sweden <laughs> and carry out the Mosaic Law. It won't work there, you know, or most places in America. It just, you just don't have the animals that you need to fulfill the Mosaic Law. So it was given to Israel exclusively for this limited time and purpose. Notice C. The law regulated every detail of an Israelite's life, including the cultivation of the olive tree. So there was a law about how you're supposed to do that. How you're supposed to plow your fields, the plowing of fields, sowing fields, threshing, raising and using animals, slavery, polygamy and the custom of Leverite marriage, stoning, swearing of oaths, altars, incense, the treatment of captive women, and uh, just a bunch of other activities that I can't even, <laughs> too numerous to mention. I've just listed some of the, the ways that the law was very specific and controlled every area of an Israelite's life. Many of the laws regulate activities peculiar to the culture of, ancient, of, the, of the ancient Near East. That is, it's peculiar to that particular location and customs. Every house was built, that was built absolutely required the inclusion of a parapet, a barrier around the roof of the, uh, around the roof, some, some sort of railing, some sort of barrier, which was designed for the cultural context of ancient Israel with its flat roofs that were used for extra living space. You remember in the book of Acts, Acts 10, Peter goes up on the roof, remember, uh, to pray uh, because it's out of the way of the other people in the house, he goes up on the roof. So the, the roof was used as the living space, so every uh, house, by law, had to have this uh, parapet, this barrier around it. D, the Mosaic Law was a complete body of statutes designed by God to regulate the personal, moral, judicial, and politi political affairs of a nation state. As a covenant document, we should expect the Mosa Mosaic Law to endure only so long as the Mosaic Covenant itself Virtually all the regulations of the Mosaic Law are culturally restricted, geographically limited, and culturally and politically specific. As a result, they are incapable, inapplicable to any other people, and in fact are unfulfillable by Christians living throughout the world today. So it's actually impossible because of where we live and the time in which we live that we could keep all those 619 commands. It just can't be done. Even Jews today cannot fulfill the requirements of the Mosaic Law. They can't do it. Uh, to give one example, according to the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 16 and Leviticus 23 also, but <clears throat> according to that, the, uh, all Jewish men were required to be at the temple three times a year. They had to come to Jerusalem three times a year 
for the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. This was an absolute requirement. Well, there's no temple <laughs> in Jerusalem for men, Jewish men, to come to. So Jewish men have been disobeying this command for 2,000 years. And there's a bunch of them like that that are just unfulfillable today, even by Jews, because the changes that have come about over this long period. So I'm trying to show here that it's given exclusively to Israel. And it's so specific, so time-bound, that it would be pretty tough, pretty difficult to make it apply outside of that particular situation. So what happens? What do people say who, who say we have to keep certain parts of the Mosaic Law? How do, they, how do they get around what I just said? Well, they say the Mosaic Law can be divided up and can be split up. And we can divide it uh, into three parts, civil, ceremonial, and moral. And we can carve out the moral aspects and say, okay, God only wants us to keep the, these parts, these moral aspects. So we do have to keep those aspects. And so that's how it's done. But I'm saying here, under number four, the Mosaic law cannot be divided up. That is, it's unscriptural, and the New Testament tells us very clearly that you can't just divide up the law and pick the parts you want to obey. The law itself requires that you obey all of it, not just part of it. But I can see our time is out here, so we won't try to pick up this part today. We'll start here next week with Roman number four and finish up next week. Thank you very much.